This was the fifth quality of the Ibadur Rahman. Prior to this was the quality of them standing in front of Allah Ta'ala and spending the night of night in Ibadat or some portion of the night in Ibadat. Then Allah Ta'ala mentioned about them having this quality that they despite spending their time in this manner worshipping Allah Ta'ala, they are all the time also fearful. They are not heedless. They don't become fearless. So because of this fear of the Akhirat, fear of Allah Ta'ala, they are constantly beseeching Allah Ta'ala. They are all the time saying, Oh Allah, please turn away this azab and this punishment of Jahannam from us. Save us from this. Because this azab is very serious. It's a very serious affliction. And innaha sa'at mustaqarru wa muqama. That the fire of Jahannam is a most terrible abode for anybody to be in. So this fear of Allah Ta'ala is with them. This is the essential aspect of a mu'min that his iman is bain al-khawfi wal-raja. He doesn't become despondent of the mercy of Allah Ta'ala at any point in time, but neither does he become heedless. If a person has no fear, he will become bold and daring. And he will then get into major problems. And on the other side, shaitan sometimes makes a person despondent, makes him lose hope. That too is a trap of shaitan. So a mu'min is all the time between the both aspects of hope and fear. But the fear should be slightly over the hope. And when a person is now seeing that life is now towards the tail end, then the hope should be dominant. When the fear is dominant, then this will keep a person in check. It will keep him careful, cautious. And we find in the life of Rasulullah who Allah Ta'ala had made masoom, sinless, there was no ever any question of anything. Yet Nabi Wasallam, his khushu, his fear of Allah Ta'ala, this was evident in the way that he worshipped Allah Ta'ala at night, during the day, how he turned to Allah Ta'ala in dua, all the time beseeching and begging Allah Ta'ala's mercy and grace. So despite being masoom and sinless, this is the nature of his fikr and concern about the hereafter. And to the extent that somebody becomes closer to Allah Ta'ala, to that extent, this fear will also grow. On the point of that fear, one is the fear of the adab, which is mentioned in this ayat, that is also part of it. But the closer a person gets to Allah Ta'ala, this fear grows, but it is a fear of love. The fear of love, and somebody is very, very closely attached. 
example, somebody has got a very close bond with his parents for that matter, or his ustad, or anybody for that matter. And now, because of this bond, he's all the time afraid of displeasing the beloved. That I mustn't step out of line in any way, in a way that I, what I do becomes a source of displeasure of whoever the beloved is. So this is also a fear. And this is the fear of the ashiqeen, of the true lovers of Allah Ta'ala, that they are all the time afraid that Allah Ta'ala must not become displeased with me. Because the displeasure of Allah Ta'ala for them is worse than the worst azab. That azab is azab, obviously. But worse than azab is Allah Ta'ala becomes displeased. And in this dunya, the azab of Jahannam is in the akhirat, that as soon as they detect in any way that we have incurred the displeasure of Allah Ta'ala, this is already Jahannam for them. So this is the fear of the ashiqeen. And at the same time, they fear the akhirat also, the azab of the hereafter as well. If you look into the lives of the Sahaba Kiram, the same thing, that despite whatever virtues they had, whatever achievements they had, all their accomplishments, whatever glad tidings they received from Rasulullah Can we imagine anything greater than that? That somebody receiving glad tidings of Jannat while walking on the face of this earth. Despite that, they didn't let this become in any way a means of becoming heedless or not fearing the punishment of Allah Ta'ala in any way or not fearing the accountability of the day of Qiyamah. In fact, this made them even more fearful. Hazrat Umar he is on his deathbed after he was attacked in the masjid in the house of Allah Ta'ala while performing the Fajr Salah, the lengthy incident. In any case, he is taken home and a few days passed in this way where he was between life and death. But it became obvious that he's not going to survive this because the wounds were very, very deep. So people started coming to pay their respects and say something to comfort him. So one young person comes and he starts saying some things as a kind of consolation. And he says that, Alhamdulillah, you were with Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam finally left this dunya in this condition that he was pleased with you, he was happy with you, then you associated with Abu Bakr and eventually he left this world in a condition that he was pleased with you and then you associated with the Muslims, you became their Amirul Mu'mineen and when you will be, if you leave, you will leave in a condition that they are all pleased with you. So when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam left the dunya in a condition that he was pleased with you, Abu Bakr left in this condition and now the general Muslims are all pleased with you. This is the indication Allah Ta'ala is happy with you too. This was the message. And who is Umar who Allah Nabi Wasallam gave him the glad tidings of Jannat while he walked on earth among the Ashara and Mubashara, the ten Sahaba who were given the special glad tidings of Jannat. Among others, but these ten were given in one time. So he had that glad tidings of Jannat already. And then the various virtues that Nabi Wasallam mentioned in his favor. Had there been a Nabi after me, it would have been Umar. He said to him, when you walk one in one, from one end of a road, shaitan flees from the other end. He doesn't have the courage to cross paths with you. 
person of that caliber. And now he is on his deathbed. And somebody comes and says these things. That Umar Dilan's response is that, that I'm just hoping I come out fair and square. That if I don't get anything in lieu of any, any reward, at least I'm not taken to task for anything. I'm not punished by Allah Ta'ala for anything. His mind is nowhere near any achievement of his, any accomplishment of his, any kind of pride or any vanity in his heart. He is concerned, I hope I'm not taken to task. I hope I'm not put through any punishment. If I don't get any sawab also, I'll just be happy that I'm not taken to task for anything. Now this is that khashiyat. This is that fear of Allah Ta'ala, the fear of akhirat, the fear of accountability, to the extent that a person gets closer to Allah Ta'ala, to that extent this is something in front of him. Then his mind and his gaze never goes on anything of himself because he's got nothing he, as he believes. It will never go to his that I made a lot of ibadat, or I have performed so many hajj, or I did so much of work of deen, or anything. He is concerned, I hope I don't get taken to task for these things. That I be asked that, how did you do it? What were your intentions in it? And that might become this, the point of my destruction. So let alone getting his mind involved in any vanity, any pride, he is more concerned that I must not get taken to task. Hazrat Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anha is similarly in her last moments on her deathbed and Hazrat Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhu, he also comes as to now say something of consolation. So somebody informs her that Hazrat Ibn Abbas has come. So Aisha immediately realized that he's going to come and this is my condition. So obviously from behind the parda, but he's going to say things in praise of me. So she said, look, I don't need his praises, please. Leave it. In other words, don't even give him permission to come. So the person interceded that, oh mother, he is such a good person, cousin of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, allow him to come. So finally she said, okay. So when he came, so now this is what he had to do, to say something that will be of comfort. So he started off saying these things, that Alhamdulillah, you were the most beloved wife of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because in the time of Hazrat Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, Nabi Islam had not married anyone yet. After she passed away, then from all the wives that were at one time in the nikah of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he made it very obvious that the most beloved was Hazrat Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. So in any case, he's saying you were the most beloved wife of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would not have married anybody except who is pure. So this is the sign that you have been accepted, and then you had this virtue and that virtue when your necklace got lost at one in one journey, that became the means of the ayat of tayammum being revealed. So the ummah got so much of good out of you in this regard. And then the ayat of the Quran Sharif were revealed in your purity and chastity, regarding your purity and chastity. All these things he started mentioning. So when he said all this, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, her response, her response is, لَوَدِّتُ أَنِّي كُنْتُ نَسْيَمْ مَنْسِيَا لَوَدِّتُ أَنِّي كُنْتُ نَسْيَمْ مَنْسِيَا I wish I had been a forgotten thing. 
that some way I was born and gone long ago and nobody even knew me and I wasn't, I didn't have to have anything to account for on the day of Qiyamah. I wish I wasn't even something mentioned. Now, all these achievements, all these great virtues, but what makes a person totally focused in a different direction? It is this khawf of akhirat, this fear of the hereafter, the fear of accountability, to the extent that this comes in a person, to that extent, then one will be far away from all these maladies of the heart. This ujb, vanity, and takabur, and riya, and all the various other illnesses of the heart, because a person is all the time conscious of akhirat. And if I have this problem with me, how will I face Allah Ta'ala? How will I re- respond on the day of Qiyamah? And this was the common trait among all the Ahlullah, all the Akabir, that from everything, their mind just moved towards Akhirat. Hazrat Rabia Basriya Rahmatullah is seated to eat and she is presented with a roasted chicken to eat. And she suddenly bursts into tears. So somebody asks her what happened. This is, did something happen? So she says, well, when this chicken was presented to me, roasted chicken, my mind went somewhere else. Where did your mind go? My mind went to this, that how fortunate is this chicken? How fortunate is this chicken that it was first slaughtered? When it was slaughtered, its life was out. After it was slaughtered, zaba was made, so now its life was out. And after its life was out, it was slaughtered, it's no more living, then it was now skinned, and then it was roasted. So it was roasted, it was dead. Meaning it was already mazboor, it was already slaughtered, so there was no feeling, there was no sensation. So it was roasted, but it didn't matter to it, because it didn't feel any pain. And if I am not obedient to Allah Ta'ala, and Allah forbid if I am thrown into Jahannam, I will be roasted alive. So how fortunate this chicken is, that it was roasted after its life was out. Now, Imagine somebody is being presented with something very delicious to eat, but somebody who has this consciousness of akhirat, every other aspect suddenly takes their mind in the same direction. Person, depending on what is in the heart, accordingly that is where the mind goes. Everything will keep reminding a person of the same thing. So this was in their heart, this consciousness of akhirat, and therefore everything kept on taking their hearts and minds in the same direction. So Imam Abu Hanifa, rahmatullahi he is in the masjid for Isha Salah and the Imam recites إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا وَأَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا The last ayat فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًا يَرَهُ Any case the Salah was over, the person who is relating it, he says, I see after the Salah was over, he is in deep thought and he is breathing heavily, he is sighing. So this was the Muslim. So he says that I decided rather I move away because if he's conscious of me watching him or I'm observing what's going on, I'm going to disturb whatever he's involved in now. So he says I left that lamp on, which normally after Isha I would take the lamp away. I left the lamp on thinking, well, there's a very little amount of oil left in this lamp. So it'll get extinguished on its own just now. And I moved away. I went away. So he says I went away. I returned for Fajr Salah to give the Azan for Fajr. 
when I come into the masjid, I observe that he is standing still in the same spot that way he had performed his salah. And he's holding on to his beard. And he's beseeching Allah Ta'ala. That Yaman Yudzi Mithqala Khairin Khaira or Yaman Yudzi Mithqala Sharrin Sharra. Oh, that being who will compensate every good, every atom of good with good, and every atom of evil with punishment. Ajir Nu'mana Abdaka Minan Nar. That please save your servant Nu'man from the fire of Jahannam. And save him from everything that, will, that brings a person close to the fire of Jahannam. He was continuously now repeating this. The Muslim says, I came, I saw this, but in any case now I had to go give the Fajr Azan. So I went and gave the Azan, I called the Azan out. Now he is in the masjid. But he was so absorbed in this, he didn't even hear that the Azan has been called. So he says, finally I came and walked into the masjid. When I walked into the masjid, he noticed me. So he quickly turned to me and he asked me, have you come to take the lamp? He thought this muzzin is waiting now, Isha is finished. So he wants to take the lamp and now go home. So he said, I told him, I just have given the azan of Fajr. So he realized now that the whole night he had spent like this, he was so absorbed, he didn't realize how long he has been standing there. So he told him, please keep this to yourself. Because now this would become something exposed to the public. He didn't want this also to anybody know about it. He said, please keep this to yourself. As long as this person, Hazrat Imam Sahib loved, this person didn't tell anybody. After he passed away, then he mentioned that this is what I observed in my own eyes. Now this came from where? From this fear of Akhirat. To the extent that a person has this fear of Akhirat, to that extent, he takes a lesson from everything also. He takes a lesson from everything about the insignificance of dunya. And his mind is all the time absorbed in the aspects of Akhirat. The personality, we discussed some of his incidents last night. Hazrat Mawla Azhar Hussein Sahib Rahmatullah was the Ustad in Darul Dioban. This aspect about taking a lesson from everything. Those whose hearts are engrossed in fikr of Akhirat. Then they, they take a lesson from everything. Like Rabia Basriya Rahmatullah from that chicken she took a lesson. So he one day came and he said to Hazrat Mufti Shafi Sahib Rahmatullah that today I saw a very strange thing. What did you see? So he says, well, while I was coming, because his house was a distance away and he had to pass some little, like a small like jungle or something through on the way. So he says, as I was coming, I see some small little girls in this jungle. They were fighting with one another. And one is hitting the other and this one is hitting that one and they're quarreling and fighting. So he says, I, when I saw this, small little girls, so I quickly went forward to stop this fight. So when I got there, as I got closer, I realized what this fight was all about. So now they were in this jungle where people would come and graze the animals and so on, their cattle and so on. So what had happened was that these little girls had come and collected the cow dung, which is a very common thing in these type of places, that they collect this dung and then it's dried and then it's used as fuel to for whatever. So each one had collected whatever they collected and they made a heap. And now came the time now to distribute this. Because both of them jointly collected it. In this distribution, this fight happened. 
So he says, now when I realized this is what they're fighting over, so I started laughing. That now this fight over this cow dung. So in any case, as I'm laughing to myself, smiling, and I'm going forward to separate them and stop this fight, at that time, suddenly this thought crossed my mind, oh you who is laughing at this fight of these children over this cow dung, what difference is the fight of people over the material possessions of dunya, which are also going to perish and become sand? Is it no difference different to this? Is it any different to this? This too is totally useless and totally of no significance. Like that, the rest of dunya, no matter what its worth might be in the eyes of people, but in comparison to the akhirat, in comparison to the bounties of jannat, it is nothing, not even cow dung. So when a person has his focus towards the akhirat, then these things are insignificant. And then that lessons that we discussed earlier, that if it comes to a point where in order to just stay out of an issue, if he has to forego some right to, he's ready for it because he's seeing something beyond that. He's saying, I'm leaving, this is a, a very great deal I'm getting into. That I'm giving something useless, something insignificant, for something that the whole world and what it contains cannot compare to. Because what Allah Ta'ala will reward in the akhirat, that is something beyond this whole world and what it contains. So, the point that was we were discussing was, that to the extent that a person has this consciousness of akhirat, to that extent, all the time, in every situation, his mind will first go towards akhirat. That how do I handle this issue, or how do I respond to this matter, in a way that I don't jeopardize my akhirat in any way. In a way that I earn the rewards of Allah Ta'ala in the hereafter. Then, whatever is to be done in dunya, how it's meant to be done, will be done. This is also a place that nevertheless we have to live in for the period of time we are here. So he will take care of his needs, and if there is something, some right of his, some claim that he has to make, he can make it, he's entitled to it, but he will do it in a way that Allah Ta'ala does not become displeased. He will not try to recover from some zulm that somebody else perpetrated on him in such a way that he too becomes a zalim. If he has to make a claim of some sort, it will be in a way that he still remains without getting involved in any zulm, without becoming disobedient to Allah Ta'ala. So this is the quality of those who are truly conscious of the akhirat, who are conscious of the azab of Allah Ta'ala, the punishment of Allah Ta'ala, then they make dua also. They are beseeching Allah Ta'ala. And their hearts and minds are absorbed in that which will bring them closer to Allah Ta'ala and the concern of the hereafter. The next ayat Allah Ta'ala says regarding this Ibadur Rahman, وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا أَنْفَقُوا لَمْ يُسْرِفُوا وَلَمْ يَقْتُرُوا وَكَانَ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ قَوَامًا that the next quality of these two servants of Allah Ta'ala is that when they spend, neither are they extravagant and nor are they miserly. They strike the balance between these two. On the one side, they are not extravagant. Extravagant, there's two aspects in this. One is that they don't spend in anything that is haram. That is that one extravagance. That is totally out. That is tabzir and innal mubazirina kanu ikhwana shayateen. That those who waste the wealth of Allah Ta'ala in this way, in that which is 
impermissible. Then this is something which is so detested. Allah Ta'ala says that these are the brothers of shaitan. Can we imagine somebody addressing us like that? Or we overhear somebody talking about us, he's telling somebody else, look at this person going, shaitan's brother going. Now imagine if you had to overhear that. Somebody <laughs> telling us, this is shaitan's brother going. So what an insult that would be. But in the light of how we spend our wealth, we can detect for ourselves whether Allah Ta'ala is saying that about us. One is we hear some insan saying it. And will regard it as a terrible insult. But Allah Ta'ala is ahkamul hakimin. Allah Ta'ala is our creator. Allah Ta'ala is the one who knows us best. And Allah Ta'ala is saying, if a person is spending his wealth in haram, he's spending his wealth in that which Allah Ta'ala has forbidden, then Allah Ta'ala is saying that this is a brother of shaitan. So that is the obviously the worst level. And then sometimes a person is spending in something permissible. But he is spending to the point of wastage. That he shouldn't be spending so much there. For example, a simple example to understand it is, for example, wudu. So wudu, a person needs to use water, so he's spending something, he's spending water. But there's a certain amount that is required for his wudu to be performed correctly and fully. So now if that, for example, is, Nabi Islam used to make wudu completely in what used to amount to approximately three quarters of a, lit- of a liter. So the three quarters of a liter was approximately the amount that was the water that Nabi Islam used to perform a complete wudu with all the sunnats and everything completed fully, obviously. So now a person is using far in excess of that. Now that water is, to spend that water is permissible, necessary in fact to a point and then permissible, but he's spending more than necessary, this becomes israf. So like that in every other thing, there are certain limits one is that a person is spending on his need. So obviously he'll spend on his need. Then together with his need, there is something to the degree of comfort. So he's allowed, Allah Ta'ala has blessed him with the halal ni'mat. He's earned it in a halal way. So he's making himself a little bit more comfortable. For the sake of that comfort, he's spending something, no problem. A simple example of that is, that one is a person is traveling, so to get from point A to point B, so supposing he's traveling by train. So now there's a third class. Now this is an example that really applies to those who know what are the trains like, for example, in India and so on. So one is a third class coach where a person will reach, inshallah, but by the time he gets to that point, he will be lucky if he gets there in the way that he departed. Otherwise, he would be sometimes having to suffer some bumps and bruises also because that place gets so choked up, as they say, that he might have to suffer some issues on the way. But in any case, he'll get there. Safe and sound, inshallah, but he'll get there. But then he travels in the first class, which is not a major price difference. It'll be different, obviously, but he's not double the amount or something. But now he'll travel in comfort, so now he's permitted, he has the ability to do that, he'll travel in that, he'll save himself the difficulty of the third class by all means. It's a, a person can afford to have an air conditioner in his home, it's fine, it's permissible. So that is the level of comfort which he will derive some practical benefit out of it. By all means, 
he can afford some better food. Allah Ta'ala has permitted it for him. He is not obliged to eat only the dry bread and water. If Allah Ta'ala has provided the ni'mads, then he should make shukr. He can use it and make shukr, but then there's a third level. So this first level was need, hajat, then and zarurat. Then was the level of comfort. This level of comfort, on top of that, is the level of adornment. Now that is not something of any practical benefit. The level of adornment, for example now, this is something which doesn't really and should not really be something applicable to men. This is something Allah Ta'ala has spoken about with regards to women. Those who have grown up in adornments. So now there's some jewelry for example. That jewelry doesn't add anything to the quality of life. If a person is hungry and they wear the best jewelry, the stomach is not going to get full. Somebody is feeling hot and they wear a lot of jewelry, they start feeling more hot. So that's not going to add to the quality of life in any way. That is the reality. All these things often are just in the eye. Bus. It's all just in the eye. Person is blind, what adornments is going to worry about? It's all just in the eye. It's all just in the eye that a person, now he wants to have it as smart as can be. Why? So he'll see it. But that too, if it's up to that level, that he will see it and feel comforted, is not the ideal, but it's permissible. Provided that, it is just that he will be comforted. It's not for any other purpose beyond that. So a person, for example, now he's built his house and now he painted it, that paint is not necessarily going to add any strength to the walls. But it'll look a bit more better, look more presentable, he'll feel comforted, so it's fine, no problem. But then there's a level where he's doing something not for him to see and feel comforted, for others to see. So now he's wearing that brand label, why? Others must notice what I'm wearing. Before also there was brands. Brands didn't start in 2000. The century turned, the millennium turned and the brands came. These brands is long ago. But generally that brand was meant to be an indication of the quality. The way it was behind the collar. So behind the collar, that was where the brand was. So if somebody was really trying to show the brand, he'll try to scratch so hard that he can show it out. Behind that, it's itching so much inside that he had to pull half his shirt off so somebody sees what he's wearing. Because that was not the objective of displaying the brand. It was just an indication to the consumer that you're buying some good quality. But now it has taken a different turn. Often people ask this question that is it haram to buy something that is branded? It'll all depend on the intention. What is the intention behind this? If that intention is that I can also show that I am somebody. I can afford this or I can wear this. I am also somebody. Then that becomes impermissible for that person. That becomes impermissible for him because this has become riya. In the hadith, Nabi Islam says, Man labisa libasa shuhratin, albasahu Allahu libasa dhullin yawm al-qiyamah. The person who wears garments to show off, 
Allah Ta'ala will clothe him in garments of disgrace on the day of Qiyamah. Often the choice of garment is purely so that what others will think about it. Not that I will feel a little happier wearing it. I will feel happier wearing it fine, provided it is within the limits of Sharia and Deen. But so that others will get impressed, then that is now gone beyond the limits and beyond the bounds. So they don't spend their wealth in these kind of things also. They spend in that which Allah Ta'ala has permitted. Inshallah we'll continue. Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq. Subhanallah.